Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. i got a question for you. Does it matter how you read the scripture? Does it make a difference how you read the scripture? I'm not talking about like, you know, if you read it on your knees or read it standing up or listen to it on MP3. What I mean is how you understand what you're reading. How does it matter? It's a really important question because any sensible person would want to know, you know, a question like this. Do you remember when the man uh, came to Jesus and he said, actually, he was a scribe. He was trying to put Jesus to the test. So he came up to him and he said, Jesus What should I do to inherit eternal life? That's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. He said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a very important question. What do I need to do? What do I need to produce? What do I need to provide? What do I need to carry out? What do I need to execute or perform to get eternal life? And Jesus answered his question with a question. Now, when God answers your, asks you a question, he's not looking for the answer for himself. <laughs> he's not needing the answer from you. He knows the answer. When God asks you a question, what he's trying to do is take you to a point of decision. He's trying to lead you. He's trying to take you to um, a place of understanding where you can, by his question, draw a conclusion. Amen? So he asked the man a question. He said, he asked him, what do I need to do to receive eternal life or to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now to a Jewish person, the law would have been the scriptures. Today we would say, so what's written in the Bible? How do you read it? How do you read this? Does it matter how you read the scripture? Absolutely. John 5.39 says this. Jesus is correcting the Jews. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And yet it is they that bear witness of me. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you might have life. See, they were not reading the scriptures in the way that the scriptures were intended to be read. The scriptures were supposed to point them to their Messiah when he came so they could receive him and enter into life. But they were not reading the scriptures that way. Did it matter how they read the scriptures? (laughs) This means yes. This means no. Does it matter how you read the scriptures? Yes, it does. It does. You can miss God right in the middle of his word if you're not reading the scriptures the way that he intended. That's an important thought. It's a scary thought, really. Because wouldn't it be really miserable to think you're religious and dutiful and doing all these legal things that you find in the Bible, but you've missed God in the middle of it? That'd be a bad place to be. So they were evidently uh, giving themselves to reading the scripture, but they weren't experiencing the life that God intended. I've been reading some uh, bringing messages for the last several weeks on the opening verses of the book of Hebrews. So if you'll go there with me, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Start there again. Bruce, if you don't mind muting some of the things on the stage, I hear some buzzing and stuff up there. I don't know if anybody else does, but I do. 
It says this, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. And I'd been preaching about God speaking. God was speaking through the prophets. God was speaking through the fathers. Amen. Somebody say, God spoke. And, and a couple weeks ago, actually, I think it's been like six weeks ago because of the holiday and everything, uh, I spoke about the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you'll remember. <clears throat> There's an idea out there that somehow in the Old Testament, God, you know, he, he gave us the law and uh, it was the way that we were supposed to get right with him and nobody could keep it. And so he said, oh man, this isn't working. Let's just do away with all this and let's do something new in Jesus. But that really wasn't the purpose of the law. Another idea out there is God gave us the law and he made it so hard to get, absolutely impossible to get to Jesus through the law, to get to himself through the law, that nobody could do it, to drive us to grace. And that's closer to the truth because the law does do that, but that's not exactly the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to point us to Jesus. It was a part of God's plan. See, Jesus is not plan B. Jesus was planned from the beginning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus was always the plan. Uh, all the way back to Genesis 3.3, he says, one is coming. He says to the devil, he's going to strike your head. You're going to strike his heel. He's going to crush your head. I've got a savior coming. And then he starts working with one nation. He picks one nation out of all the nations. He picks one man out of all the people. And he says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to work through you. And I'm going to bring salvation through your people, your descendants. But the Bible is very clear. When the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, when the Savior comes, when Israel's king finally arrives, he will not be only the Savior of Israel. He will be the Savior of the whole world. Amen? So Jesus has always been plan A. Now, the law does these things. You cannot be justified under the law. You know, people have had a difficult time keeping the law with all the regulations and commandments. But the purpose of the law was to bear witness to what God was going to do in Jesus Christ. But if you're not a Jewish person, you were never under the law. The Bible says that you were outside of the covenant, without God and without hope in the world. That's what we were before we came to Jesus. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a pretty bad place to be, amen? Are you thankful that God didn't leave us there? <laughs> Don't you have hope in the gospel? Amen? In other words, um, the purpose of the law was to bear witness to what God was going to do through Jesus and by the Spirit. So what I'm pointing out is the continuation from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Long ago, many times in many ways, by the fathers and the prophets, God spoke. It was God speaking. Acts 26, 22, when, when um, uh, Paul was standing trial before King Agrippa, and he's giving defense to his ministry and to what he's doing. He says these words, to this day, I have, ha I have the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying to both small and great, listen, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Paul is saying right here, I'm, wor I'm being persecuted because I'm going against the Jewish tradition. I'm worshiping the father. 
through Jesus Christ. But he says, I'm not doing anything except for what the fathers and the prophets and Moses said would happen. This was the whole plan all along. Jesus is God's plan A. Amen? Amen. So in other words, even the Old Testament scriptures were giving to bring us to Jesus so that we could enter into his life. His life in Jesus. You taste it when you're worshiping, don't you? You feel his presence, his life. Amen. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they're bearing witness about me. Come to Jesus and have life. Long ago and many times in many ways, Hebrews 1.1, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse two, but. So verse one, I'm saying there's a continuation of what God's doing. Verse two, there's an interruption. What does a but mean? A but means something is different going forward, right? It has been this way, but now something's changed. We're introducing something new, a new idea, a new way to get to God, amen? So although there was a continuation now through the cross, through the spirit, through what Jesus has done, everything is different now. Because why is it different? Because the law, the prophets, Moses, the Old Testament couldn't show us what God was really like, but Jesus could. Jesus could show us exactly what God is like. It says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Listen to verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. The word there behind it is the word, the Greek word that we get our word character he is the exact character of God. But if you would think of character as like a typeset, you know, what's a character when you're typing? A, B, C, D, right? It's a character. And, and that character would make an imprint. And that imprint would be exactly like the character. That's the kind of exact likeness that Jesus could show us. It says in um, Colossians 2.9 that in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of God dwells in Jesus in bodily form. That's why he's the exact character, the exact imprint, because he is exactly God in a body. Praise the Lord. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Pay attention to that phrase, the word of his power. So last week, I was talking about the importance of being established in the Word of God and empowered by the Spirit. But isn't that a neat phrase, the Word of His power? If we are reading the Bible correctly, we will find ourselves empowered by the Spirit. Amen? If the Bible doesn't lead us to Jesus and lead us to life, then we're probably not reading it right. But there's life in Jesus. And he wants us to experience all of it. Last week, I talked about being established. Do I have that little slide? Kenneth, I worked really hard on these slides. Let's put them up there. <laughs> established by the word, empowered by the spirit. 
I think it's in there. Maybe it's, oh, there, look at that. Look at that. Stab there. Thank you very much. Thank you for getting that up. Established in the word, empowered by the spirit. Last week I talked about sometimes there's a dilemma or a false narrative where there's a, a false dichotomy between the spirit and the word. Some people say, well, I'm following the word. And others say, oh, we don't want to be bound by the letter. We want to follow the spirit and we want to be free. We don't need to follow, you know, rules. But uh, the truth of the matter is we need them both. You remember I talked about Deion Sanders. He said both. <laughs> When somebody says you want to follow the word, the spirit, you need both. Amen. The problem is that as Christians, if we don't have both, we can easily come to the false conclusion that we're actually doing better than we really are. Okay. We think that we're farther along in God than we are. I shared with you guys, um, uh, I've shared it probably several times in the last six months, but a time where God spoke to me and he said, your problem is you're filled with, you know, uh, doubt and unbelief. It was a word of correction. It was, you know, it was offensive to me because my reaction to God was, but God, I've never said anything wrong. See, I was following the legalism. I was watching my mouth legally, yet I had neglected my heart. Do you see what I'm saying? And I needed that correction because I maybe was following this to the letter, but I had let my heart have things in it that were filled with doubt and unbelief. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we have both the word and the spirit and we want to stay on track so we can go far with God. Amen. We don't want to be under the deception that we're following. There's people who emphasize following that book and others who follow the spirit. But without both of these, our lives won't get very far. Think of a train track, right? You ever notice there's uh, two rails on a train track, right? And the train needs both of those rails to move. Is that right? And once that train gets moving on those rails, it can move. It can go far. It can carry a heavy load a far way. But if one of those rails are missing, that train can't go anywhere. And notice this. The rails on a train track are always going the same direction. Always. The word and the spirit are always moving together taking us to the same destination. If you get a word from what you think is a spiritual word that will take you away from the word, your train will stop. <laughs> if you get into some kind of legalism and you don't have the life of God in your life and you're not connected by the spirit, that legalism is not enough to get you moving. You need the word and the spirit working in your life together to move forward, just like the rails on the train track. Isn't that a good illustration? It's a bad place to be always learning and never able to experience the truth. It's a bad place to be all up in your head and trying to do the right thing. You know, I used to um, run long distance years ago, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, there's a difference when you're talking to a person who, who just has read about running and can give you advice versus somebody who actually ran themselves, right? Who do you want for advice? You want the person who's, you know, I had a friend who, uh, when I first met him, he was training for a marathon. My maximum run was like seven miles and he's out there running 20 miles, you know? I had no understanding what it was like to run 20 miles. You get over, you know, it's not, it's not just like running seven miles but more because you hit certain places where you start needing rehydration and different uh, energy in your body, salt and different things that you're losing. Until I ran 20 miles myself, I had no idea the things that he was facing, you know? Well, God doesn't want us just to have theory about things. You know, you ever call the customer support 
and you know you're talking to somebody who's just reading a flip chart, <laughs> you know, or reading off a computer screen. And you're like, is it plugged in? Well, yeah, it's plugged in. I know that much. But, you know, you, you get the idea that they don't actually use the product themselves. They're just answering the phone and reading the checklist. <laughs> what you want to do, you want to find people in your life who have actually experienced some things to inspire you that you can do it too. Amen? Amen. The truth is our minds are renewed when we can actually demonstrate and do what we know to be true. It's not enough for me just to know about God's saving. I need to be able to experience God's salvation in my life, amen? It's not enough for me just to know that I should live holy. I need to live holy, right? My mind is renewed when I can demonstrate the word of God in my life, when my actions and what I know in the word line up and they correspond to one another. That's when I am moving forward. On the, tr- on the rails and moving somewhere with God. Amen? Amen. I feel like I'm saying amen all by myself. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jay. I hear you. <laughs> um, God told Ezekiel something. We want to be careful of this. Go to Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30. Go ahead, put that up, Kenneth, if you would. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and the doors of the houses, they say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they recognized Ezekiel as a prophet and they would talk to them when they're out, you know, along the walls where people meet and outside their doors when they'd go out and talk to their neighbors. And they'd say, hey, you heard about that prophet Ezekiel? Oh yeah, yeah. Could you believe that word he gave? Yeah, he's talking about Israel being, you know, and the, the Babylonians and all that, and they're talking. And uh, he was a popular man, I guess, because they're talking about him. Go to the next verse. It says, they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they won't do it. For with lustful talk, their mouths in their mouths they act, and their heart is set on their gain. Verse 32, behold, To them, you are like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they won't do it. He said, you're like somebody who's an entertainer. You've got a beautiful voice. And they're listening to Ezekiel talk and they're like, wow, did you hear how he articulated that prophecy? Or maybe they were just shocked by the, uh, the controversial things he said about Israel. Oh my goodness, could you believe what he said? Let's go hear some more. It was entertainment. It didn't change their lives. They didn't take heed to his warning. They didn't repent. They didn't listen to him. We don't wanna do that. We wanna be doers of the word, amen? We don't wanna think we're farther along than we are. Just because we go and we take this book and we read it and, you know, like a beautiful voice, we listen to preaching. I mean, we have so much available to us today. I mean, thank the Lord for it. But we can get so used to thinking that just because I have preaching on in my house or the word playing 24-7, I'm actually a doer of it. Hearing it does not make you a doer of it. We need to be a doer, not just a hearer only. Don't be like those people in easy. Oh, I love this preacher. 
I love how he gets excited when he preaches. I wish my preacher would get excited like that. Sorry. <laughs> he runs around the room and I love here, or, you know, whatever. He's such an intellectual. He goes back into the deep definitions of the words and he brings up these meanings and definitions. And I love to study that stuff. Yeah, none of it matters if you're not gonna do it. We've got to be doers of the word, amen? And having the spirit alive in our lives and the word running in parallel will keep us on the track and we can go far with God. I wanna run hard with God, do you? I wanna experience everything that he died to provide. Praise the Lord. The intention of the word, God's intention from heaven's perspective, the intention of giving us the word is so that we can be empowered to live it out. He didn't put these things in this book just so that we could listen to good sermons and have Christian entertainment. If he put by my stripes, you are healed in here, it's because he's got a healing for you. And he wants to bring it about in your life. If he says you can live for me and be holy, he's got that for you. It's a better way to live. He's got things for us as a church. He's got things for us as our families and individuals. And they're all for us. The intention of putting them in this book is so that we can walk in them. Amen. Ren Kim, who was telling me the other day about Smith Wigglesworth saying about holding God to his word. Was that you? Huh? Oh yeah, yeah, we had some friends. And he said, Smith Wigglesworth was, uh, he said, Smith Wigglesworth said, God is looking for somebody who will hold him to his word. And it's, God doesn't mind. He's like, thank God, finally, <laughs> let me do what I wrote. He wouldn't, if he didn't want it, he didn't have to put it in the book. Everything he put in here was because this is what he wants for his church. Amen. We can go there. We can do this. We can experience this. Amen? That excites me. It really does. So let's see. Last week, I talked to you about the rich man and Lazarus, right? Looking at being uh, established in the word, empowered by the spirit. We looked at the rich man and Lazarus. And you remember the story? Amen. I get some, hey, I'm getting some feedback there. Finally, thank God. All right. I needed that. You know, hey, I started off for years teaching kids. And I, I need that interaction sometimes because, you know, for kids, that's how you know they're listening, right? So if everybody just be, is quiet, you're like, uh, what's happening? But for kids, you're like, engage with me. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm still used. To, I get in kid mode sometimes. But um, I talked about the rich man and Lazarus. And if you remember, the rich man died and he went to Hades and uh, Lazarus died, too. And, and they were both in there. And uh, uh, from in the flames, the Lazarus said to, he saw Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family so that they can, he can uh, warn them not to come into this place. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, if somebody goes back to them from the dead, then they'll listen. And Jesus said, what? He said, no, they won't. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if somebody comes back from the dead. That's pretty, you would think having a vision of somebody back from the dead would be real convincing proof, wouldn't you? But what did he say about his word? The word of his power. He's not holding off on us to make it hard. If we read that word right and believe it and act on it, that word is the powerful thing that will take you to a place of repentance, a place of knowing God, a place of life in Jesus Christ. Amen. 
the word of God and the spirit of God working together. Uh, then I talked about last week about uh, the people on the earth. I think I mentioned it last week, but several weeks ago, the people on the road to Emmaus, you'll remember that they were walking along and their eyes were kept from recognizing who Jesus was as he was what? Opening the scriptures to them. He was establishing them in the scriptures. And then they got to the place where he broke bread and they recognized him. But when they ran back to Jerusalem, they could say, you know, the the, the women at that point had seen the vision of angels, but they were still all confused. But these people, having been established in the word, listening to Jesus for two hours on that seven-mile walk, go through the scriptures and build into them about this is what God had planned to do from the beginning. They were established in the scriptures. They ran back to Jerusalem and they found the other disciples. And that's where I want to pick up right here. Go with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 36. They came back to Jerusalem and they found the disciples and they were talking about these things. Verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them and he said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? So they're looking at Jesus, yet there is doubt in their hearts. Here's a man back from the dead and they're still not believing their eyes. I think there must be a reason the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. The truth is, even if you're not a Christian, you still walk by faith and not by sight. Because you will live by what you believe, not necessarily by what your eyes tell you. That's why you can be working with somebody and you're like, don't you see it? Look, it's right in front of you. And they don't get it because they're not walking by sight. They're walking by something in here. Uh, that ties back into guard your heart with all diligence because out of your heart is the issues of life. You are living out of your heart. You're living out of what you believe. You're not living out of necessarily just the things you see in your senses because you have a way of rationalizing everything. <laughs> we all do, don't we? We have a way of rationalizing what we don't want to believe. So they're startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. So he says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Verse 39, see my hands and my feet. It is me. Touch me and see. See, I'm not just a spirit. I've got a body. Touch me. Feel me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones. You can tell I'm, I'm, I'm real, you know? Uh, like one preacher said, you knew he was real because when he ate food, it didn't just fall on the floor. <laughs> and that's the next thing he did. He took some food. Um, uh, where's it? Verse 40, when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Verse 41, they still disbelieved. They still disbelieved for joy and marveling. And he said to them, have you have anything here to eat? And so he gave him a piece of fish and he ate it and he could swallow it and it didn't drop on the ground. And he took it and ate it before him. Then he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's directing them to the scriptures. But at this point, look at how they were. They're startled, they're frightened, yet at the same time, they've got joy and amazement, but it says they still have doubt and disbelief in their hearts. And then the next verse, it says this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds so he could establish them in the scriptures. He is there presently with them. I'm telling you what, Jesus is a lot closer than you think he is. 
He's a lot closer to you than you think he is. Let him open your mind and take all that he has for you. Amen. And then he said to them, thus it is written. And he goes through Christ should suffer it on the third day, rise from the dead. In other words, this is not plan B. This is what has been planned from the beginning. This is what the scriptures testify to. And I want to establish you in the scriptures. But there is a goal to the scriptures. The purpose of the scripture is that through them, we can experience a person, that we can experience God. I've shared the fact that when, when I was engaged to Rin Kim and even before, I knew her for two years before we could be together. And so we had a long distance relationship. I mean, long distance relationship. So why did I stay up late at night till she woke up in the morning in India and sat there waiting by my computer? wasn't so I could have a relationship with my computer screen. <laughs> I was waiting for her to wake up and start talking to me. There's a real person on the other end of that computer screen. You know what I'm saying? And we would talk. And, uh, and I knew I wasn't having a, it wasn't just about being into this screen. It was about her over there who was going to come and be with me for real. And God didn't give us this book just so we could have a relationship with the book. There is a person who wrote this book, who wants to enter into a real living relationship with you by the Spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. Look at the next verse. Um, he says, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power, say power from on high. Do you see what Jesus did here? He established them in the scriptures so that he could empower them by the spirit. He established them in the scriptures. And I know it's true because I made a slide that says it. He established them in the scriptures so that he could empower them by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? He wants us to walk in power from on high. See, we've walked in earthly power. We've walked in the human way, haven't we? What's the human way? Glad you asked. First Corinthians chapter three, verse two. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? That's the human way. Flesh, jealousy, striving. We've all done that. James 1.14. We read this one Wednesday night. Uh, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For will jealousy, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You see what he's saying here? See, jealousy, striving, ambition, trying to get to the top. These are things, the attitudes that the world rewards, is it not? In fact, if you're not striving to get to the top, if you're not going after more stuff, if you're not trying to get in positions of authority, people look at you and think there's something wrong with you. 
He's not very aggressive. I don't know. He's not moving forward in life, whatever. These are things the world rewards, but the Bible calls them earthly, unspiritual, even so far as to say demonic. What's God's way? Look at uh, Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you, whoever would be great among you, whoever would be the greater one in the kingdom must be your servant. Doesn't even make any sense the way the world thinks, does it? must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. I'll tell you, heaven looks at things completely different than the world does. Everything's inside out and upside down. Even as the son of man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, those who walk close to God, they walk in humility. The great power that we exercise, the great power that God wants to give us authority over sickness and diseases and all over all demons is never to lord it over one another, but to serve one another, amen? We can walk in the authority of Jesus if we will have his humility and serve the way he served. We all want to have that, you know, power, the authority, but are we willing to serve the way Jesus served? And it gets, it's even harder when you say it like this. Are we willing to serve one another? Are you willing to serve your family and people in your life? Think about it, put a face. Are you willing to serve that person who's been giving you trouble? Ouch. Hey, that's the doorway to power. Go for it. Lay down your life. Say, have this attitude. Thank you so much because you are allowing me to realize that I've not yet laid down my life. I'm still alive when I need to be crucified with Christ. Excuse me while I go crucify myself right now. <laughs> but there's a laying down yourself like G Jesus did. And he entrusted his life to the father. I can lay my life down for you because I can trust the father to give it back and raise me up. The humbled are exalted. The ones who exalt themselves are humbled. There's great power on the other side of humility. There really is. Wow. Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? If you read the word correctly, you will be supernatural. My words are spirit. They are life, Jesus said. If you understand the word the way that Jesus understands it, you will get the results that Jesus got. And I have a slide for that one too. Look at that. If you would understand the word the way that Jesus understands it, you would get the same results that Jesus, it just seems so official when you put it on a slide. <laughs> but we need to seek and understand what Jesus knows about the word. We need to do the word the way he did the word. He came and, and, and uh, in all this power, the creator of the universe, 
holding all things together by the word of his power, yet he humbles himself and makes himself too obedient to even death on a cross. It just doesn't make any sense. But there was, you know what, on the other side of that, there was resurrection. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Not that I've already obtained it, but this one thing I do, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. The only problem is there's a crucifying of your flesh on this side of resurrection. Run to it. Just run to it. It doesn't have to take decades, you know? We shouldn't be having the same problem decades after, you know what I'm saying? You, you can't, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now where I'm starting to look and it's like, man, you got to let some things go because if you carry it for another 30 years, man, you're going to be dead, you know? You're going to die with this. You don't want to hang on to stuff, man. Let stuff go. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Be free in Jesus' name. Go on with God. Let stuff die. Let it fall to the side and just run with him. Run hard, amen? Don't be afraid to lay your life down. Don't be afraid to let it cost you dearly because if it's in him and you're doing it for him, he raises you up. And in that place, that's where his goodness is running after you. That's where the blessings are pursuing and overtaking you. You don't have to sit here and figure out how to go. You know, you read the verse, you know, the blessings will overtake you and then you go out and you try to figure out how to make them happen. No, lay your life down. Seek the Lord and let his goodness and mercy overtake you. Let him prove that to you. He'll do it. Amen. If you understand the word the way that Jesus understands it, you'll get the results that Jesus got. I want to show you something from Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 deals with um, uh, six chapter, chapter 6, verse 4. It says that it's impossible in the case of those who basically have been saved and then fallen away. It goes to verse 6. It says it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that's, that's the context of what I'm going to read. Um, but what I want to focus on is how it describes the person who is a Christian. Okay, listen to these words. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse four, in the case of those who have been enlightened, work with me, say enlightened, enlightened. who have tasted the heavenly gift, say the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, say Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, say word of God, and the powers of the age to come, powers of the age to come. Thank you very much. You make me feel so much better. The... Um, powers of the age to come. Do you see this working together? The word, the Holy Spirit, the power, all working together here. This is a normal Christian experience according to the book of Hebrews. Somebody who's received the enlightenment of the word, of the gospel, tasted the gift of salvation, right? He, he, he shared in the Holy Spirit. Come on, we shared in the Holy Spirit. Wasn't it a sweet time in worship among us? It was. And I know this because you brought that with you too. It's not just, you know, one person here. It's you guys are communing with the Holy Spirit. You're sharing in that in your life. And when we come here, we feel it in such a tangible way. I love it. We're sharing in those things. And, and then it says, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Do you see how this works together? The word and the spirit and the power of God taking you forward in life. But this is, this is normal. This is normal Christianity. 
And we're seeing some stuff in this place. I mean, there's an anticipation. God is moving. He's moving in hearts. He's building this place. He's bringing people. He's, he's uh, answering prayers that we're praying. We're going after things. And it is awesome. I am excited about what God is doing. And I can't wait till we just keep this, get this train rolling and just see so many things that he wants to do. I believe he gets frustrated sometimes when we hold him back. Let's not hold him back. Let's go forward with what he's got for us. Romans 1, 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to ever. The gospel itself is the power of God. He's not holding out on us. He wants us to walk this way. He wants us to taste the goodness of God, the goodness of the word. He wants us to have the spirit and the powers of the age to come. What's the power of the age to come? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to use us to bring that power of that coming age into this present age to be a witness for him. And we are what he's got to do it. We're the branch, he's the vine. We are the fruit bearing part of the tree and he wants to bear that fruit through you. He wants you to be bringing that power, that word everywhere you go. Let it overflow, bubble up out of you, amen? Do you need something from God? What is it that you need? Do you need healing? Do you need a restored relationship? Do you need salvation? Do you need peace in your mind? Whatever it is, he wants to meet that need, amen? Amen, would you let me pray with you? Father God, we just thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that you have for us, Lord. I thank you that we've experienced some really good things. And I thank you, Lord, that there is much more to experience that we have not even thought of yet, beyond all that we could ask or even imagine. And Father, as we make our commitment in our lives to seek you and lay down our lives and walk with you, I expect to see more and more and more testimonies and things that you're doing in people's lives, Lord, both here in this church and in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. In Jesus' name I pray. Hallelujah.